Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Estopin All In. It's the Bamos Morados Podcast. Powered by the state of Louisville. Welcome to another episode of the Vamos Morados Podcast. My name is Benson. You can find me on Twitter at Purple SDF. And my name is Zach. You can find me at Zach W. Allen. And today this is a very special day because we're joined by a very special guest. If you follow my writing on vomitsmarados.com or follow me on Twitter, you'll see often I make reference to USL Tactics. I think he's a brilliant mind and he does a lot of great content. And so I thought we'd bring USL Tactics, aka John Morsey, here onto the show to talk about the most recent Louisville City match and talk about the Tampa match because it is a team you're quite familiar with. Isn't that right, John? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, just so happy to be here. I mean, love the site, love the pod. But um, I've spent the season working for Tampa as a data analyst, uh, mainly looking at opposition, trying to give them some insights into teams. But as a result of that, pretty innately familiar with how the uh, Rowdies go about things. So, yeah. So what better time to bring him on to um, for when we're actually lining up against the Rowdies, which I'm very excited about. Um, but before we dive into the match that just happened and the match upcoming, um, do you want to talk a little bit about how you kind of got into this uh, wild world of following low-level soccer as, uh, as closely used you have, particularly on the data side of things? Yeah, so um, the podcast audience probably won't love hearing this bit, but I uh, grew up in Indianapolis, lived there for the first 18 years of my <laughs> oh. life. Yeah, It's okay, we all have <laughs> and, our flaws. Uh, <laughs> but uh, as a result at of least that, it wasn't I Cincinnati got... oh yeah, man come that, on we can all agree on that come on guys but I got into the 11 as a result there and um followed the NASL really closely when they were part of that league and when they made the jump over to USL I realized hey this is something that I'm just as interested in and just as committed to following well meanwhile I'm a pretty general sports fan with interest in basketball, baseball, that sort of thing. Sports where you have a lot more going on with the statistical side of things and baseball, especially. Mm -hmm. And so just in the process of trying to absorb as much soccer media as I could, I sort of got into the tactical side of things. And when I had that comfort with the game, but also saw myself sort of going in that data direction in terms of a career and academic path, I kind of saw it as a really good marriage to Kind of test out things in terms of the skill set I was trying to get and just 
mess around with it well that turned into a twitter account when i thought hey maybe people would find that a little interesting and it sort of just ballooned from there spiraled out of control pretty quickly huh yeah right now i'm staying up till 1 a.m every saturday watching stupid <laughs> west coast extra time games <laughs> man yeah they're cutting in your sleep west coast games don't count you can sleep for those this the simulation is that we <laughs> simulation, call it right <laughs> That's some wild stuff. And I mean, again, like I said, I can't talk highly enough about the, the work that you do. It's always super insightful and it's just, it's just a fun read and a whole different perspective. If even beyond like the numbers and stuff, you do a really good job with like the actual, like, like tactical visualizations and whatnot. It's really great stuff. Yeah. I appreciate that. So if you do not follow him on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. You need to do that at it's USL always, tactics. It's always nice to have a fellow Microsoft Excel fan. Oh, you know, this pod. is a big, big group of uh, XL fanboys here. I know we're exciting people, huh? <laughs> a lot of my job. So wait, how long, um, how long did you actually start your account? That I actually don't know. Um, so it was sort of a pandemic project initially when oh. the league was on hiatus. I kind of got into it with the data a little bit. And so I think the first match that I posted about was that uh, Louisville-Pittsburgh return game. Ooh. Oh, that you reminded a, me that that game which, exists. Which was super <laughs> tough for Louisville now that I'm remembering. But yeah. Yeah, it's not the, it, it was not was the brutal. Uh, it was not the, it was uh, the, first... the welcome to the stadium we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. that 10-minute stretch where Pittsburgh just went off. Yeah. It was like right – it was early too, I thought. It was like yeah. 20 or so minutes in. Uh, I'm getting like – flashbacks from that one but anyway so okay yeah i didn't realize it was i thought you'd been doing it a little bit longer than that because i started doing my writing and stuff that season like late like july or something about that time frame so not too far off cool yeah. all right and you're uh but you're not you're, you're not currently in indy you're up in new york right yeah uh finishing up at nyu this year oh you're finishing there you go yeah senior year Woo, good for you going into the real world well yeah scary but fun yeah <laughs> fun times well let's go ahead and let's dive in and let's talk about the uh the little city versus charlotte independence matchup um i don't know about you guys but this is one i was nervous about but confident in the team if they played to the level i knew that they could but as we've seen throughout the season there have been times where there's hiccups and inconsistencies mainly those have been on the road but not always and i'm like if they have any of the slip-ups they'll they'll take advantage of it it's a it's a scary team and like when you look at the numbers i felt like they lined up pretty evenly to us i mean is that is that a fair assessment uh yeah i would certainly say so in terms of some of the more basic things you would look at um in terms of your points per game attacking numbers they tended to be a little bit lower over the course of the season, but when you looked in the more recent stretch, when they added the guys like Overton, uh, Sylvain Marveau, Charlotte was pretty much up there with Louisville at the top of the Eastern Conference statistically. So it seemed to be a good matchup on paper. Yeah, every every ranking like one of those games where good. home field was really going to be the deciding factor because I think I think that was an even enough matchup that whichever team got home field would have the slight edge in it oh yeah no i thought that was i mean yeah this is one particular having home field was a huge sigh of relief 
huge benefit, especially with how like inconsistent and how not great we did on the road this season. But I mean, I think a lot of that, not all of it, but a lot of it was some of these narrow pitches. And for whatever reason, the team just could not like adapt to that. They struggled in that scenario, but I mean, look at the, the match itself. Um, I didn't get to watch it live, but I did watch it a little earlier today. Uh, two things that stood out to me was one, it was a, I thought it was a pretty chippy match, like kind of like the Miami match, but a little different, particularly at that Enzo Martinez. Um, I knew that he's had a history of being a problem for the little city yes. teams, but you could, you could definitely see it in that match. And then the other thing is that I didn't, I didn't love some of his cards that we got pretty early on. I saw people like, like tweeting about it when I wasn't able to watch about um, it was Paulo got a card like four minutes in and then OMB at like 10. And I just, I don't know, maybe I'm where maybe my, my Louisville bias is showing there, but like, I felt like we got dealt well, a hard hand. I feel like the Paulo one is really rough for Louisville because yeah. he being the captain, he tends to be the one who like talks to the ref, the whole game for, for Louisville. Like anytime, there's a disputed call. It's always Palo and like getting a super early yellow card like that really <laughs> takes that away from him. Like he's, he's now on notice for the rest of the game. I didn't, I didn't yeah, even think it, thing, isn't it where it sort of affects how he's going to be able to play the whole time. I mean, it's not the start you want. I didn't think it was a particularly great call either to speak to that. Yeah. I mean, like maybe late, like it's one of those things like where you kind of, they kind of ease in the match and like, you can get away with some stuff kind of early on if it's not like overly egregious. And I felt like that was one of those things, like maybe if he pulled that stunt, like at the 50 minute mark or something, he would have got carded. We'd have less heartburn over it, but four minutes in like, God, that's a little, a little rough again. I, and I try avoid, avoid like knocking on the refs and the calls and stuff like that. Cause I feel like at the end of the day, it evens out like in the like long run, the long samples, you win some, you lose some, but I don't know that that bothered me while I watched it. I'm like, I'm like go like this when I'm watching on TV. I'm like, what the hell? Seemed like the ref definitely wanted to keep the game under control and call it very tight yeah. from the start. He seemed that's sort of the impression I got. I forget at what what point, but he got like sassy with the ref. Got like sassy with the uh, the Charlotte goalkeeper. I don't know if he was like time wasting or if he tried kicking it too early or something like that. But he was like bug eye, like staring him down, like. Yeah, he's trying to keep a vice grip on the match. Anyway, that's enough talking about the ref. We don't need to keep blabbering on about that one. <laughs> but and, and I don't know what what was what was your guys like take just kind of as of the of the match overall. I thought it had a like it's very very back and forth, but each team was doing just enough to like prevent any like real serious chances from happening. It, it reminded me a whole lot of the Miami game. It felt very similar to me. Like uh, it seemed like very very close and tight and there was not an abundance of chances for either side but i feel like both sides did get a couple quality chances that really tested the keepers and um it definitely was like nerve-wracking just like the miami game was it definitely felt like whoever gave up the goal was going to lose there was not going to be a very high scoring game which is kind of surprising i mean it it seems like the last couple of weeks, especially Louisville has definitely been much more defensive than the whole rest of the season. The games have been a lot tighter. I feel like than especially early in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found, I think my thing with Louisville 
in a lot of the matches I've seen of them this year is that they sort of grow into it as it goes along where yeah they're like they're in it for sure the whole 90 minutes but you really see them kind of kick it into gear maybe 60th minute or so where they really grab the match by the scruff of their neck and start dominating and I think that sort of played out in terms of quality chances in this one um, I thought Gonzalez laid on in the match really was impactful but overall, they did a good job of controlling what Charlotte's good at, which is sort of driving transition play through the middle of the field. Uh, I mean, we talked about Enzo a little bit, but he's really an engine for this side. And I didn't think he had much of an impact. And he was one that I had sort of uh, highlighted in my write-up before the game as someone that would make or break this for Charlotte. And ultimately, he couldn't pull it off for him. Yeah. It's like you, you kind of said, like they... Um they kind of grow into the match. I must feel like over the course of the season, there's been like two different Louisville city sides and it's, and it's based on the quality of opponents. So when they're playing like lesser opponents, I feel like they just like, they come out the gates like real hot and just like, just take control of the match and never let go. But then when you get more stronger competition like this, yeah, it's very much more, I don't want to say like Sheldon and defensive, but, but growing into it is a, is a great way of describing it. And, for as many, for as much defensive problems as we had kind of over the year, I say we have defensive problems, but like it's still better than a lot of other teams, but <laughs> for our standards, like it, it just, at times it felt questionable, but in these, particularly in postseason and, uh, and like this match is a great example, but they've just been so good defensively, you know, Sean Tosh has been, been outstanding. I'm really thrilled with West Sharpie. I think he's really grown up a lot. He's doing real well. I mean, obviously Jonathan Gomez is, it's Jonathan Gomez and Oscar Jimenez he you know he had that long injury and I think it took him a little while to get kind of back up to speed but I think he's like back up there now and like right at the right time too so I want to make I want to make sure that we specifically gave some praise for the for the defense there and then Chris Hubbard he's uh he's really stepped it up as well too I think he has had a really great run the last three or four games that I think he had a pretty rough first half of the season, I thought. Um, and, and he, these last couple of games, he's looked a lot more like he looked the, um, his first season that he got to start the, yeah. Yeah. We didn't have a, I don't feel like we had a clear number one for the majority of the season. It's kind of like yeah. you could jump around and, and put him or Parker in and have a good case for either one of them. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I thought, um, just speaking to the defense a little bit, um, the other thing, I, when I was sort of talked about Enzo, the thing I had really highlighted for Louisville was that fullback positioning. Will Charlotte be able to catch Gomez out when he's all the way up the pitch, really providing a lot in the attacking half? And I thought he struck that balance really brilliantly in this game, which credit to Danny, Danny Cruz for having him pinned back a little bit, but you got to... Uh, give Gomez and Jimenez credit as well for just showing that level of discipline against a team mm-hmm. that really does a lot in the wide areas. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Jogo had a much better game balancing the defensive versus offensive side than, than he did against Miami. Cause I felt like Miami, he really got stuck back on defense for large portions of the game and what wasn't able to get forward and help out the way he has this season. And this game, I thought, yeah, he did a really good job of striking the balance better. He was still getting forward and and making things happen on the offense, but n- never got caught on, on a transition and was still 
doing all of his defensive duties. Yeah, I was, I was thinking after this match, I'm like, like I, I knew, I knew he was leaving. Like that's not been a shock at all. But I'm just more thinking about like, how do you backfill that? Like we don't, <laughs> we're never actually gonna like backfill him. But what's what's what are things gonna look like without him? I don't. That's a, that's that's a problem down the road. Problem we don't have to worry about right now. But it's just yeah. a testament to his really abilities. That to you're, think about. Yeah, you're you're not gonna replace him. But what's the team gonna look like? with you know with you know, i mean i'm sure oscar sh- shift back over but then who's the other who's planning on the other side so i don't know it's just things to think about in the offseason well, and, uh, i mean just talking about I, this is that uh, louisville is going to have this coming up in a lot of positions but i guess the flip side of one great thing about the team for the last five or six years has been the amount of continuity that they've had but they're also getting to the point where you have five or six seasons of continuity in a sport like soccer where people tend to not play at a high level super far into their thirties. And so they now have a, a lot of really important contributors for, for a lot, a lot of years now that are going to have to start getting phased out. And so it's, I think the big question moving forward in the next couple seasons for Louisville is like, how are they going to integrate a lot of new starters into the system. Yeah, that transition plan. You know, you got Corbin Bones, 33, Oscar's 32, Ownby is uh, 31, Niles 31. Like in the next few years, we'll see some big turnover from that uh that James O'Connor core that was that was built from the beginning. And that that's gonna be an interesting thing. And one thing that I think a highlight this season um is that I mean, the, the academy appears to be going very well, and it has been nice to see, like the Winders, some academy players who have been, like, worked in, who have started games. And so it does look like on the really young end of that, there is some promise in moving forward, like, get working younger players in. Yeah, but, no, I think yeah. they're doing a I good job I do think they are it. missing that middle of, like, sort of mid-20s players yeah. i think they yeah for yeah. sure i think that yeah i think there'll be some probably off-season pickups from other teams but i'm definitely uh, excited to see the that youth pipeline going and john you might have a have a perspective on this how how is louisville's like integration of youth particularly with their own academy system stack up to a lot of the other clubs in the in the u.s celtic because be, be honest outside the mls clubs like i'm not very familiar with the academy programs and and other ones. And I don't know if that's an area you've even delved much into at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm not overly familiar with it, but I think the big thing is that most clubs don't really have an academy set up in the same way that even a Louisville city does. So, I mean, getting guys like Winder really is a big deal because you don't get that same extent of homegrowns. I know um, just speaking to the 11 a little bit, they tend to target guys who played at Indiana university mm-hmm. or have local ties somehow. But I mean, there really isn't anything of like developing guys through a sort of lower pipeline. Really? Okay. I mean, you have you have partnerships with youth clubs locally, but so much of that is nascent at this point where I think it's gonna be a growing thing, certainly in the next couple of years. But Louisville for me is ahead of the game with it. Okay. I thought there were some other clubs that might have had something similar going. I just like it just was not on my radar. I'm sure there are, but nothing's popping into my mind at the moment yeah well that's a good sign for us then 
I figure we were probably more on the upper end of the spectrum there, but I think the the Academy League is still in its infancy and got really yeah. derailed, I think, by the coronavirus. Yeah. So I, I do think moving forward, you are going to see a lot more growth there on the USL side. Yeah, that's I, I think that, that's that an area help. I'm very excited to see develop the whole the full ecosystem. That's where the USL will make its money creating and yeah, developing yeah, yeah. their own talent and, and exporting that talent to bigger leagues. That's the move. Wow. We got really off target, uh, uh, off, uh, off the rails there talking <laughs> about the match. <laughs> that was me though. That was my fault. So, um, well, how about we talk about the, uh, the moment of the Charlotte match that, uh, that handball, uh, penalty call. So, for those who weren't familiar, it was, God, what, like the 86th minute, I think, is when it first occurred. Jogo exactly. was, yeah, he was running down the line uh, of, of the box, kind of going to, about to do his patent run where he r- runs to the end line and then cuts over. And he did a juke move with the defender on him that put the defender on the ground, which is awesome. And, and so he tries to cut by the defender on the ground, who... Did Jogo kind of more run into where his hand was, or did the defender move his hand into the pass and interfere with that? That's that's one part I wasn't clear on. It looked to me like because as the defender, you never want to be the one to commit to a move first. That or just in general in soccer, like you always want to wait for the other guy to to commit to a move. And so, I mean, it was really good on Jogo to get him to commit to that slide while Jogo could still cut back. I think, I think Jogo just, when you see a guy slide, you go behind him because he can't, he can't recover. And, and that's where his arm was. So, so yeah, that resulted in the, uh, in a handball call, which, which I think was, is fair and fortunate for them, but fair. And I do think watching the replay, it seems to me, because it was a pretty late whistle. I think, had it just been the first contact his arm made with the ball, it would probably have not been a call, but he did sort of like keep his arm on it and then hit it again right. while he was getting up. It, I, I think the first one he would have gotten away with, cause that was yeah. just incidental. He was falling down and that's where his arm was, but he sort of, as he gets up, he turns and his uses his arm to get the ball to the other side of him in a way that I think that that's really what the call was on. Not oh, the yeah. contact probably. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. It was like, there's, there's multiple touches there. And I agree with you. If it kind of like was a, a glancing accidental incidental thing at first, probably what it got called, but uh, kind of yeah, just that sustained there. contact had to be it. Yeah. yeah so, um, so we were blessed with the penalty, which was taken at the 89th minute and, Mr. Automatic Cameron Lancaster is lined up. <laughs> Can you pick anybody more uh, more deadly from that spot in the league? He's got to be up there. <laughs> he just bangs them away. So straight into the top net. Yeah, the goalie guessed Beautiful. right though. Yeah, yeah. Didn't get it though, thankfully. So <sighs> man, that was uh, that was stressful. Again, I was just watching updates from uh, from Fot Mob and and watching on. Uh, people's comments from Twitter. My brother actually tuned in as well. He's not really a soccer guy. He was staying up with his, uh, with one of his, his, his young son and turned it on and texted me about that. And I start freaking out <laughs> <laughs> like an 89th minute goal. Wow. Wow. Exciting. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. So, uh, 
one thing I want to mention. So we mentioned just just a great play by Jogo. I mean, that's why he's so dangerous getting forward. Um, and we haven't mentioned it much, but I did want to bring up that I thought Ombi had an incredibly good game yes. for the whole night. I mean, for most of the game, mo- most of their offense was coming out of Ombi creating on the wing. Um, and I think, I mean, like, is it Fuchs? is a pretty high quality defender and he took him on yeah. one-on-one several times and got the best of that parent. Uh, yeah. Uh, that matchup several times I thought. Got to so handle I, that speed. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was for me, the, the way that Louisville used the wingers really was the difference in the end here. Um, there was a tendency sort of to tuck them in field a little bit and force the issue where if you're Charlotte, you either got to commit men into the middle over and address that overload, which as you saw in the penalty opened up uh, Jonathan Gomez to get that one-on-one and the rest is history. If you lose a Lou. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a close. And then like looking back like at the match holistically, like all the numbers, like I feel like Louisville, like overall was the slightly more successful side. I mean, you're putting that, putting that goal aside and just like, look at the numbers. They were, they were getting off more, more shots, more target shots, creating more chances passing a little bit better holding on to possession so i'm 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 happy that that, that they had that edge and we're, were able to see it out i i might be particularly a little even more nervous going into this next matchup had it be one thing where we kind of got scraped uh scraped out a win from you know from being kind of maybe the the lesser the more inferior team so i I'm, i also do take kind of merit and value in the fact that uh that we numerically look better. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, yeah, the numbers and the eye test really bore out that this was probably a superior Louisville performance, not a dominant one by any stretch, but I think they tended to control the run of play. And I mean, as it went on, especially, they really were able to sort of inflict their style on it in a way that was marked for me. And then, um, one other thing we didn't bring up, but I thought it was worth note. I think at the end, and I couldn't really see it on the TV broadcast, but I'm told that uh, a few cards were handed out after the match concluded. The Charlotte head coach got a red card. And I think the player who got the um, handball, who I cannot remember his name right now, got a yellow card. And I think they were chirping in the ref's ear and probably had some colorful things to say post-match. So I don't know if either guys is like, does that, mean anything like their season's over does it carry over to the next season so i think it does yeah i i do remember a long time ago louisville city had um had a player get a red card in the last game of the playoffs in in the in the eastern conference finals and he had to miss the first game of the season so i do think that does carry over Interesting. Okay. I don't know if it's the same with coaches, but with players, at least <laughs> that's how it works. I, I think their head coach might be suspended for the opener next year, which is <laughs> kind of hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that worth it? I mean, the, the match is already over. It's like, how many times has that ever worked where they go back and flip something? Anyway, that's their problem to deal with. So, so coach Cruz and his uh, first season at the helm, has continued our time-honored tradition and make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Woo! Um, I, I think, Zach, I think you tweeted something to the effect, like, or, or said something, I can't remember where, like, 
you're like every year I expect for like this to be the year that the streak is broken and <laughs> and it's never is that you I, that's yes that was me okay, yeah because so. I just feel like because a, a streak like that is so crazy to me because I mean even even if every year you are one of the two best teams in the east it's still very unlikely to make it to the eastern conference to, to the finals that many times in a single elimination tournament even if you're the favorite in all of your games it's just it's crazy to go seven years without having an, an upset in any of the earlier rounds basically we're we're spoiled and we like we have this like unhealthy expectation i don't want to say unhealthy but like we have this like it expectation is. like where any team that doesn't make an eastern conference final like sucks like they're terrible like the, <laughs> the year we don't make it it is gonna be bad <laughs> people are people are gonna lose it the first time we lose earlier and, than the eastern conference final. and even if it's it could be like an upset scenario like you have a astounding yeah. team that do phenomenal all season but then they just have that one bad match and they're gonna say oh it's the worst team i've ever had fans it's are gonna like, well, want the coach's head yeah it's <laughs> the, like well that's the not first necessarily the case but i can see why you're upset about our little precious streak being broken here <laughs> so it's, like, it's just it's an incredible run yeah. of form <laughs> for that many years <laughs> So anyway, bless the we don't have to talk about the uh, any sort of failure to not reach that because we have reached it. But the uh, I mean, while the co- level of competition has been getting steadily more and more uh, impressive throughout this uh, this offseason, we now have to, to face the mighty Tampa Bay Rowdies, which I honestly I mean, I think whoever makes it to the finals, regardless, I still think this will be the better match. And in my mind is more of kind of a final quality quality matchup of opposition um i mean because phoenix is already knocked out they're the only one that will put in that conversation i kind of think el paso is always a little probably overhyped a little bit maybe i don't know maybe that's not fair but either way so it's gonna be a there i'm just wildly impressed with tampa bay rowdies like they are very scary on paper and it's it's, it's going to be tough because we got to go to Al Lang Stadium, which I'm excited to see the stadium. Maybe not the context that we have to go there and come out with a win for that, but but seeing the stadium itself will be cool. So, John, for, for those people who are not as familiar with the, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, can you, can you walk us through the team, their strengths, their weaknesses, and a lot of weaknesses. Well, I spent yeah. a lot of time on the weaknesses that you found with me. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but like the composition of the team, how they play, like their accolades this season. Like, let's let's get the rundown. Yeah. So if you're thinking about this Tampa side, it starts with the back three: uh, Aaron Guillen at the left center back spot, Jordan Scarlett on the right, and then Forrest Lasso in the middle. Who, uh, as a group of Cincinnati haters, we should be pretty familiar with. But this group with Evan Loro and goal um, set the record for the longest streak in the history of the league without giving up a goal. So they're defensively about as stout as they come. Um, At the same time, you really see them as the spark for what this team does offensively. Um, They tend to possess the ball moderately, but you'll often see Guillen and Scarlett really carrying it into the opposition half, uh, stressing opponent midfields. On the wing, uh, Leo Fernandez and Connor Antley probably will get the start in sort of the wing back spots. Fernandez is uh, something of a converted forward. He was huge in that crushing six goal win against Tulsa in round one. 
he gives you so much dynamically. And I think he could really be an issue in terms of uh, pinning back Ownby, causing problems for Jimenez. So that's something I'll be watching. In the middle of the field, um, you're seeing Lawrence Wyke and Lewis Hilton typically as the pairing. Wyke is something of really just kind of a ball recycler who passes it fairly sideways, but he showed a lot more progression in this last matchup against Birmingham. Hilton, for me, is one of the best box-to-box center mids in the league. Uh, he's excellent. He's really the core of what this team does in the middle. Then up front, the big threat is Sebastian Guinzotti, uh, one of the leaders in goals. I think he was second to Haji Berry in terms of the golden boot race. Just a really smart mover, excellent dribbler, kind of just floats all over the final third. He can poach, he can shoot from range. He uh, on one of the goals or one of the better chances for Tampa in this last match, you saw him come into his own half to just draw the opposition out and really kind of grease the wheels for what they're doing. So if I'm just thinking about this team stylistically, they're going to choke you out defensively and just stay really solid at the back. But when they do get the ball, they're going to move with a lot of intelligence and really force you to think about every step you take as a defender and try to catch you out from there. So they were the, they were the, the, the points winner for, for this season, correct? They beat, they did end up beating uh, the likes of Phoenix yeah. and El Paso. Home field advantage up. throughout. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they had success. And even early in the season, I remember they played Phoenix and won. That was kind of like the de facto championship for, for last season. Um, yeah, that's right. Early season. Came out yes, there. Yeah. So that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a huge win in itself. Now for, without getting your, yourself in trouble with your employers, like what is, what is Louisville's like key to success here? Like what do, what do they need to do to, to have a solid shot here? For me, I think it's the ability to uh, beat this team in transition. You are going to see those moments where the wide center backs are going to push forward into the other half and it leaves them a little bit vulnerable. Forrest Lasso is really strong as sort of that anchor at the back, but he's a little bit lacking for pace. So maybe you could see an own B breakthrough in transition. And I think that's not been the strongest suit for Louisville and the attack really this year, but it's something that they're capable of doing. At the same time, I think that they're going to be able to, um, I, I know I talked about kind of tucking those wingers in and trying to get some overlapping runs. That's something you could really see them use effectively here if it can uh, drag Tampa out of shape at the back and really pin back those fullbacks to limit their, their attack in turn. Tampa's a really tough task to beat no matter what you're doing. So I think there's going to need to be a little bit of luck involved, maybe some sort of like magic goal from Lancaster or whatnot. But at the end of the day, I do think this is a fairly even matchup and it's really just going to depend on who gets a really lucky break on a second ball or something like that. That's sort of what Louisville is going to look to do to Tampa. I guess because we're so focused on Louisville, maybe what, what do you think Tampa's, game plan is going to be to try to break Louisville down? Boy, that is a good one. I think first and foremost, the challenge for them is going to be maintaining that solidity in the middle of the field. I think that in terms of defending against Bone and Del Piccolo, you really could see them struggle a little bit just because that 3-4-3 shape tends to be a little bit barren in the center of the pitch. So being able to protect against that is going to certainly be a thing for them. 
um, taking advantage of that high fullback positioning that you'll see from Gomez and Jimenez is going to be an important point for Tampa as well. I mentioned uh, Fernandez and Antley in that regard earlier, but the energy that they give you from the wide spaces and the knock-on effects from that, where if you're an opponent, you have to close out hard to the wings, which then opens up the cutbacks to the center of the pitch and you're advancing into space. Uh, you saw really that's what happened on the one nothing winner for Tampa against Birmingham. So being able to control um, how Tampa uses the flanks is going to be important if you're Lewis City. Just making sure that Guanzati can be contained somewhat and isn't getting those clear kind of poacher looks in the box will be big. If you can contain what he's doing to sort of the fringes of the 18-yard box, that's the best you can hope for against such a talented player. Uh, trying to possess the ball in the final third is going to be a big deal as well. I think Louisville is at their best when they're really able to keep possession and an opponent's back. And that's a hard trick against this Tampa team. But given that sort of midfield battle that I'm highlighting, I think they might be able to do so. So I'm, I'm looking here on FE ref for, um, for the Tampa Bay rallies and I'm looking at their formations and every match, but one, they have a back three and it's usually some derivative, like a three, four, three, uh, three, five, two, mm-hmm. something to that effect. Yeah. And that one match, it was a four, four, two, which it's showing us, and it was a loss to Miami. Do you see them throwing out any sort of curveballs and lining up and, and trying to play a different style? Or do you think they, they stick to what they know and try to kind of force Louisville to bend? Yeah, definitely going to stick with the system. I think the variation pretty much across the board for Tampa tends to be with what they do in the middle of the pitch where Jan Ekra is sort of the pivot man there um, against Tulsa. You sort of saw him as more of a number 10 or a number eight. He played on the right wing in the Birmingham match just to give them an advantage let them stretch out and address the threat that you get from guys like Jonathan Dean for Birmingham in the wide areas. Mm-hmm. So um, I would probably expect Ekra to come centrally for this one, but it depends whether Tampa sort of projects to be on the front foot, dictating play offensively or taking more of a defensive posture. Yes. I mean, speaking of that, that Birmingham match, I mean, it was only a a one, no win, but like Birmingham's a really good side. And I, and, and I I didn't get to, I I saw like little bits here and there, but just like looking at the numbers and stuff like that, it seems like, I don't know if comfortable is the right word. But they, they, they did. They, it seems like they were clearly the better side. Is that a pretty rough, fair assessment? Yeah, basically didn't create a good chance in the whole 90 minutes, if we're being honest. And I think that's really the hallmark of what this Tampa team does. The, the way they closed out against uh, Birmingham and build up, the way they kind of choked out the middle of the pitch and forced their offense to be driven by long switch which is that aren't the most reliable form of attack. It really just addled the Birmingham side to the point where the, some of the dynamic forward play that they really rely on just wasn't even a possibility. Hmm. Yeah. I, I didn't get to catch the second half, but I watched the first half hour until the Louisville game started and Tampa seemed to be pretty comfortably in the driver's seat for that entire opening 30 minutes. Yeah, that gives us a little bit of a of a barometer since, I mean, Birmingham's a team we've played uh, several times now. We know they're pretty quality. One other, this is kind of a random question, but I know 
pitch size has been a problem for for Louisville City when it's like a, like a narrow pitch and we're used to very wide pitch. How big is like the pitch at Alang Stadium? I did look it up yesterday. If, oh, you did? Oh, you know it? Okay. Hit me yeah, I've been there. It's listed as one ten uh, by seventy five, at least where I've looked up online. And it's fairly, what, I, th- I think what it's is a, ours. I don't know the numbers for ours. I know it's big. Ah, uh, so. I think we may have changed ours slightly since it opened. The The only thing I could find on ours was that when it first opened, it was like 120 by 80. But I think we may have shortened it. Just oh, that's a, definitely, yeah. That definitely yeah. happened. I remember From when that. it first opened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember because so, we, we had that slump a little bit at the is, beginning. It is, it is like a good normal-sized pitch. It's not one of the small ones. Like, like yeah. Like yeah. I think some of the ones that have really given little trouble, like Memphis. Yeah. Right. There's the tendency to look at Al Lang and think, oh, baseball stadium, it's gonna be a smaller pitch. But just given the amount of renovating they've done, it tends yeah. to be played pretty normally. Yeah. I think they have done a really good job of turning that into like a quality soccer stadium that it, like you can see that it used to be a baseball field, but it, it really like it's a good size. I think they um yeah, they it is a good soccer environment there. They've done a good job renovating, I think. Portland's the only other one, I think, that's like that, where it's been like a full-on conversion. Still looks and feels a little bit like a baseball stadium, but it's like a full yeah. soccer thing now. Portland's completely changed it. You can still kind of yeah, tell a little point. bit, though. Yeah. It's so, a cool aesthetic, though. It yeah. is. Yeah. It's very nice. I, I really like what – yeah, I, uh, I like – I mean, I'm a, I'm a baseball stadium fan – uh, yeah, me too. And, and so I like places that have some history and have been adapted and you can sort of see, see the changes. I, I like when people adapt a space rather than just like tear something down and build something new. That's why that's one reason why I'm very excited to see Al Lang stadium itself. It's such like, we don't have like historic soccer venues in this country just because soccer has always been so like not a priority up until like recently. And this is like one of the, the very few I can't I mean I can't even name any other ones I mean they've been playing there since what like the 70s maybe even earlier yeah something like that yeah so I'm just I don't know I'm particularly excited for that for the history piece of that so I'm going to make sure I get there extra early so I can walk around well and I don't know if they'll end up actually doing it but the the concept art they put together for the further upgrade project I think I think it was part of an MLS bid but I if I remember correctly they are trying to to go ahead and do it even without MLS bit but they they had some really nice concept art I've seen of adding a another stand on the other side that sort of mirrors what's there where we're in the corner uh and if, if they're ever ever able to actually build that I think it'll be even better that'd be cool that'd be yeah I don't think it's in the immediate term but the plan is just so cool yeah I like it so all right. Well, now I want to get your guys' thoughts. What are your predictions for this upcoming match? Yeah. So um, I accidentally, well, picked against Louisville in this last round. Shame on you. And picked yeah, against him at home, too. You broke my heart. 
I know it was not a great prediction in hindsight, <laughs> not a great round of predictions for me really, but we'll not get into that. But um, <laughs> I do think that Tampa has the edge here. And I think the home field advantage, uh, we hit on it at the beginning for Louisville. I think that's a big deal at Al Lang for this Tampa side. Um, I have them winning two nothing. At the same time, I could easily see this going the other way against a Louisville team that has shown time and time again that they really can take it to you in the postseason. Zach, um, what, what are you thinking? So, man, this is going to be a tough one. I, it, it sort of has felt like, obviously, this had to be the the final from the Louisville end. That like after what happened last season with Tampa coming into to Lynn and and getting a win like it it's it's perfect that now it's on the road at Tampa but Tampa has been so good at home this season that it is going to be a very tall order to come in there and get a win so I my heart is not gonna allow me to pick Tampa to win a game if we do protect predictions so I I will say I think this is the first overtime the first extra time game Louisville plays this postseason. I think this is going to be extremely tight and, and that if Louisville is able to, to get a win, I think it's going to come in overtime and I think it's going to be one Oh, probably. I I think it's going to be a super tight game. Yeah, I was, I I was, I was going to say the same thing. I, I I like to think that our defense is going to be do enough where, where we can certainly keep it within grasp, but I think that's, Tampa is just such an offensive powerhouse that one is going to get in when the one thing that kind of concerns me is the offensive output. Not that we don't have bad offense. It's just, they seem to be, uh, let's say slower, but like, I mean, just it's really tapered the, off over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, just cause we were playing, I don't yeah. want to say more defensive, but I guess more cautious might be a better word, but I, I'm optimistic that we can find one ourselves, And I, so I agree. I, I think it could go the distance to go extra time, maybe even PKs, but I think, so I, I think it's, I think it's going to be one, one, two, one of those two, whether it's an extra time goal that, that breaks that deadlock or actual PKs, but I'm going to be, be optimistic about things there. I think we can get one. And I think I'm, I'm confident in the defense, but I think one will get in. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds about right to me. And again, like I just, it this kind of sucks. Well, this setup kind of sucks. Where I think I think I mean this feels more like a, a finals caliber matchup yeah. versus whatever comes out of the West. Well, I guess we should mention, regardless of who wins, that this this side will be hosting the championship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and I, I know I, I have a lot of ace bias, but like I'm just, I don't think they got it. I think whoever wins here wins it. I would not sleep on San Antonio if they're the team that gets. There. I'm not fully. I'm not going to say it's a walk in the park, but I just I think, I think if things go how they should, the East will win. But yeah, I, I do. I think I do the respect San Antonio. favorite. The favorite will certainly come out of the East, but it, it is not. It, it would yeah, anything can happen once in a single elimination game, and and San Antonio, like you mentioned, has had a good season. So speaking of San Antonio, this is a little off track, but they're third kit that reminds me of like an old VC, uh, blank VHS tape cover the black one with the orange <laughs> like blue or whatever like oh, yeah. that is awesome that's probably one of my favorite kits in the league <laughs> and I, I kind was of this close to buying that when it dropped it's I, so it, nice we need it we need a good third kit so bad 
I'm so disappointed with our third kits the last several seasons. <laughs> Dude, yeah, like the the Derby Festival one, John, I don't know if you ever saw this, but they did one for like the Kentucky Derby Festival and it was like a warm-up kit. They didn't sell it, it was the most insane thing because they would have flew off the shelves. They were like this bright baby blue and they had these like... Um, where they have like a pink Pegasus horse on it because it's like the it, Pegasus. It was parade. baby blue. It was a baby blue and pink fade. They were loud. They were great. I loved it. Now I'm going to Google it so oh, I can look at it. That is awesome. Are you yeah. seeing it? They didn't. They didn't sell that. They no. didn't even play they, a game in it. It was just the warm up. It's a warm up, and they gave away like one or two like signed ones. It's like giveaway <laughs> things, but like they didn't sell it, which was absolutely insane. Like they should just go ahead and reprint them right now. The same thing, and we would buy. Yeah, I, I want to see a crazy theme jersey as an alternate at some point I, I think like a a horse racing silks inspired one would be really cool looking yeah because yes. i really love um indianapolis when they did the indianapolis 500 checkered flag alternates i think i think that great. is like a really good use of an alternate it should be it should be some sort of theme that ties back to your city uh mm-hmm. and th- those to me are always the best sure. alternates or even have one like this maybe like heavily like um like bourbon inspired i think there's a lot of things there you know whether it's like the cooper barrels or the bourbon itself or i don't know or even if they did like a navy blue and gold like city flag inspired one just something something to really mix it up not another gray or black zach how have they not hired you yet seriously i'm here i'll put in a good word for you i think brad listens i'm sure i'll I'll help with i'll do a pitch meeting brad Man, I just thought it was like my mom and dad that listened. <laughs> they do, I though. Sometimes. Hey, mom. <laughs> sometimes. So, all right. Well, um, I'm I'm nervous, but I'm excited for this match when I think it has a lot of potential. I don't think Louisville has any room for errors, and we have to pray that uh, that Tampa is not playing 100%, maybe like 95 like 93%. And well, we can I feel maybe... like it adds more to it with the crazy – schedule this season that they have not seen each other since that last eastern conference final so it's yeah it, it's going to be unfamiliar territory for both sides i can't wait till the schedules go back to a more traditional setup where you pretty much see everybody in, in the conference i know this is like a product of the pandemic and i totally get it but i think by next year it should be probably back to normal i hope this was in a test run for what they want to do going forward uh, you got to think it's going to go back to normal. It's so yeah. much more fun to be seeing everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want to, yeah, I want to play Pittsburgh. I want to play Tampa. Like I want to we'll play Detroit. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's going to, that's yeah, going to We didn't mention that Tampa. news, news this past week, Detroit city's joining the league. Is it next season? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're jumping yeah. in right away. So and that's a um, team for the last, for several years that I've been hoping would, would join. So that's, that's good. We've the- played them. We've played them in the Open Cup before. Oh, we did? So, I yeah. didn't know that. What year? So it would be fun to, to get to play them more regularly. I had no idea we played them. But, um, yeah, no, they, they got a really good thing going there. They're, that one supporters group, the Northern Guard, is kind of like a little too cocky for my taste. I've described them as like a wrestling heel. They really, I think, embrace that status. But they're, they're yeah, passionate. They're we need, yeah, they're passionate. We honestly need more of it. So, like, there's a level of it that I'm accepting of not fully, but like, <laughs> I appreciate the passion. <laughs> so they'll, they'll, uh, they'll be a fun team to, to have in the mix banter wise and whatnot. So, all right. Well, um, 
Zach, I believe we also need to talk about our NWSL finalists here in Louisville. John, I'm Same not sure day, if you watch yeah. much uh, NWSL, but uh, it's going to be a busy Saturday. Louisville, yeah, Louisville, we got we got dual soccer focuses here. We're spoiled with the abundance of soccer we have going on. It's going to make it real yeah. hard to get down in Tampa to see the game if you want to watch both. Yeah, I I, w- I wish it worked out where I where I would have been able to pull both off, but I cannot pass up a, an opportunity to go to Al Lang in this kind of context. So yeah, well, what we've been alluding to yeah, that we we finally have a matchup for the NWSL championship next Saturday at noon. Do, um, and it's I think you went at um, if I'm not mistaken, you went at the opposite of what we ended up getting, right? I we I was wrong on both picks. <laughs> I thought brand. it was going to go chalk, and it was. I, too I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> On yeah, brand. we have a uh, uh, Chicago and uh, Washington spirit for the final. I I like it because their fan bases are close, and I think that's going to allow some of them to travel. But I also get that both the rain and thorns have bigger fan bases, and they have some bigger names that would draw more people. So I I kind of. I kind of see both sides on that, but I'm excited that the close proximity people here, especially like the um, Chicago, they got a good group and we'll know they'll, they'll try. Chicago is going to bring a lot of fans down. I think that that will be fun for the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we've already sold what, like over 7,000 tickets and that was before these matches had even happened. Yeah. I think, well, I think, I think it's easily going to break 10 K. I hope I want to, I, this is like the first really big showpiece, I think, on the NWSL side for the stadium. Um, so I I, I want to make a good show of it and have it packed there and have it be really good. Honestly, I think seven's already, like, a really good number. Especially Yeah, I mean, I was looking is. it up. Like, Chicago has averaged, like, a little over three for the season. So even having seven for the final, I think it's going to be good. And yeah, we're and for sure going to be higher than that. Oh, yeah, it's definitely – It's I mean – you know what we're recording it's that night like it's prob- probably over eight at least at this point like right this second so we'll find out i'm sure they'll they'll share that news with us soon so it'll be a good uh hopefully a good turnout but it'll be a good interesting match um i'm happy for for trinity rodman on the washington spirit just having such a breakout exciting young rookie season i know she's might steal that uh, that award from emily fox but I think that's been a fun success story. Well, and and well earned because it, she's honestly in the conversation for MVP overall. I mean, not only has she had a great rookie season for them, but she's been probably the most important player on their team for the way they attack. Uh, like- so just an incredible right out of the gate rookie year for her, and for a player that <laughs> never played college. Yeah. Right. And in the off the field sense, I mean, she's under the spotlight in a way that's pretty unique for the NWSL where there's so much pressure just given the name and the attention that's brought and the way she's performed with that. Yeah. Kudos to her. I I remember reading something somewhere. She was talking about that. And I think she has a little bit like a stranger, strained relationship with her father just because of like living in the spotlight and all those years. So she's had always, she's had this, I guess, unique upbringing. So it's really cool to see her succeed with those i mean those pressures you think that somebody like that's born like a silver spoon in their mouth but they got their own problems and stuff too um but it's i don't don't know i I think her story's been a been a pretty fun one so i'm I'm glad she's had an instant impact in the league more so than just the fact that she's the daughter of a a known athlete she's 
she's made a name for herself. I think that's particularly cool. So, all right, Zach, I need you to make a prediction on this so I can bet on the other one. I'm going to walk across the bridge to Indiana and place that bet right after we're done here. All right. Well, so <laughs> I, you guaranteed just go with whoever I don't say right now. That's um, the key. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to guess. So, Chicago was pretty decimated in this this weekend in the matchup with Portland with injuries. Uh, they have they had several key players out, and Portland also had several key players out, so it sort of evened out. But I yeah, think there's a lot of that. That was weird. Yeah, but I think if they're going to be missing as many important pieces as they missed this weekend, I would have to give the edge to to Washington. So I my if I had to make a pick, I'd probably pick Washington for the final. Well, damn, that's what I wanted to pick, but now I got to bet on Chicago. <laughs> hey, man, it's easy money, bet Chicago. <laughs> I'm curious. I always like to – I don't know if people actually like it or not, but I always like to look at the betting odds for all the matches and, and post them on Twitter just because I think it's interesting to give some 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 context of who who's you know who's the favorite and by, by what magnitude, not because I actually bet or anything, but because I know a lot of people way smarter than me are looking at these things and making assessments and <laughs> – hedging a lot of money on that speaking of betting did you get because twin spires is is uh is is sponsoring the championship did you see on the on the board in the last game that they mentioned when they did the twin spires sponsorship to to drive to indiana and look up twin spires on your phone and make some bets because legal legally even though it is over the internet you do legally have to be on indiana soil to make the bet Oh yeah, yeah, you got it. They have that geolocation thing, and like, you might be able to use a VPN and do that. But honestly, is it worth getting in that level of trouble for? Like, absolutely not. Like, yeah, it's just it was very funny in the stadium. <laughs> like, drive over to Indiana and make a bet. When they first did that, somebody like somebody made something about like, oh, we have to go to Indiana and do whatever. And the Twin Spires like account was tweeting. I'm like, oh, it's just like it's real close by. And they're like, no, oh, like we God. should have fucking do that. <laughs> That's how I feel about it too. It's like. Well, thank yeah. God we have our especially his- because it's named after a thing in Louisville. Yeah, it's like right. thank God we have our historic horse racing. Like it's <laughs> fucking slots, people. It's the same thing. Like, why is that legal? Ugh, our state is backwards. It's insane. So all right. Well, that's that's all I I, I got. I think we've we've blabbered on um, long enough. John, I want to give you a little platform. Plug the things that you're involved in so the people know where to find you. Yeah, I mean, anything that I'm doing will be out on the at USL Tactics Twitter account in terms of projects. I'm constantly tinkering with the little website, hopefully going to be rolling out some more interactive stat type things in the off season, but we'll see how that goes. The focus right now is the postseason, obviously, and I'm doing a write-up review thread for every single match. I've got the uh, preview hub that I'm tweeting about pretty constantly. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for uh, the content with the playoff analysis. And I'll be deep in it with posting pretty charts and player radars when uh, the moves come in in terms of who, uh, what teams are keeping what players. So off-season content to look forward to. But, uh, yeah, yeah. No, no rest for the likes of us. Now, if I, I wanna... saw correctly, I think you're um, you're you're going to be on another podcast soon, like a ta- um, one of the big Tampa Bay ones. Is, that, is it the unused sub? Is that the name? Yeah, unused. I, I've heard I've heard that one before. This Wednesday, yeah, they uh, they're affiliated with the team at this point now, actually, but they do great oh, work. Wow, I did I did not know that. I knew they were like a big po- like podcast, like like within the within the USL. 
they've done some good stuff. So I saw that, so I'm eager to, to check that out and hear what they're saying about us. Better only be positive things. Keep them in line for us. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll definitely try to be fair. <laughs> Zach, were you saying something before? Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna shout out the um, John's player comparison charts. It's a really, really nice. So if if you've not seen those before, the player radar comparisons, I always really enjoy in the off season. So I appreciate that. Yeah, some good stuff. So, well, dear listener, thank you very much for hearing us blabber on about the match that happened, the matches that are coming up, and a little bit of a uh, NWSL sprinkled in there. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, I'm at purple SDF. Zach, where can the good people find you and your hot takes? If you want reverse gambling advice, you can find me at Zach W. Allen. Reverse gambling. There you go. <laughs> it's a polite way of saying someone's bad. That's when I'm going to refer to things now. Hey, that's good branding though. <laughs> <laughs> you do work in marketing. <laughs> yeah. Some good stuff. Well, um, John, I want to thank you again very much for, uh, for joining us. Uh, again, you're, uh, you're a mind I very much respect. I love your content and I try to get out there as much as possible. I integrate my works. And if you guys are not following him, please do so. If you don't have a Twitter, join us on the bird app. It's not as bad as people say. I have a lot of fun on there. Just block people. It makes it way better. <laughs> That's what I, Oh yeah, man. I, yeah. I, I start heavily using the, uh, the blocking stuff in the, in the NWCL world. USL's been very, very mute, polite. And they don't know you did it. Well, I did that, but then I get curious and look at him and like, I just need like full out, like <laughs> cut the cord here. There's no value for my own well-being of seeing this. So that's a lock and mute. That's yes, yeah, that's, that's another thing. So, all right. Well, we're gonna let our good listeners go, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, everybody who is going down to to Tampa, St. Petersburg, has a safe trip down there. I've heard that they are working on getting a whole bus fleet together. So as we learn more information on that, we'll share it out on Facebook, Twitter, whatnot, so we can really fill those stands and and get a big away crowd going. I know we got it in us. Should be able to bring numbers. All right. Adios. Take care, everybody. See y'all. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.